Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. Now, we're here today to discuss the important takeaways and developments to come following Zambia's most recent election. And I am joined in this discussion with co-managing partners from Moira Makuka, legal practitioners, these being Sharon Sakuwaha and Brenda Chanda. Now, August's election resulted in His Excellency Hakainda Hichalema of the United Party for National Development being elected president, defeating incumbent Edgar Lungu of the Patriotic Front. This was a historic election for Zambia, so let's dive right into what its ramifications are. Now, Brenda, I'm going to start with you. This election has been highly anticipated in both the country and the region, and the praise going around seems to be attributed to young voters stepping up and getting into those voting booths. So, To your mind, what were the main drivers for young Zambians to come to the polls and place His Excellency Hichilema in office? And further, post-election, there has been a lot of talk around economic transformation, job creation, and creating an enabling environment for business and improving the rule of law in Zambia. So a lot of positivity around this election. So what policies are actually being created and put in place to address these issues? And what further policies and initiatives do you feel are needed to really bring these important concepts to life. Thank you very much. Um, like you've rightly put it, the demographic that really puts the current government in power is the youth uh, demographic, um, really youths up to the age of 35. And in my view, the main driver for the change was uh, the rapidly declining economic situation that the country has gone through in the recent uh, past. So this was evidenced in the lack of employment opportunities for the youth, and this was worsened by the uh, COVID pandemic. The other factor is uh, the lack of access to finances for this demographic, which is mainly in the SME sector. So you you find that these are the factors that um, caused a lot of frustration among the young people and um, ultimately translated into a change of government. Another factor is the constrained uh, civic space. You find that freedoms of expression, freedom of association, uh, freedom of the media was really restricted under the the former regime. So in my view, um, these are the factors that led to a massive turn-up in the last election among the young people because they want to see an improved uh, economic situations and um, increased access to opportunities. In terms of um, economic transformation, most of the policies of the current government have been um, stipulated in the recent budget that was presented to parliament uh, last Friday. And the focus of the current government is economic transformation and job creation and uh, value addition uh, in the key industries that drive the Zambian economy. So the key industries really, or the key sectors that drive the Zambian economy include uh, mining, agriculture, uh, tourism, 
energy, and there are quite a number of policy pronouncements that have been made in the current uh, budget, the budget for 2022, which speak to growth um, in these sectors. Maybe I can just point, um, point out a few. So for instance, um, in the agriculture sector, there's a proposal to implement a new comprehensive agriculture support program. There's also a proposal to promote large-scale estates and uh, to revive and really give life to the many farming blocks that are spread around different regions of, of the country. There's also a proposal to operationalize the ongoing uh, irrigation infrastructure to move away from a dependency on rain-fed agriculture and to be able to have farming of crops really going on throughout the year. There is also a move to recruit extension officers for livestock so that farmers in this, in this sector or in this subsector of agriculture can, can be empowered with knowledge on how to to look after their livestock. Uh, various incentives have also been um, given in this sector, which include, uh, among other things, removal of tax uh, on the importation of refrigeration uh, trucks, uh, removal of tax on um, breeding stock uh, for cattle. So those are some of the policy pronouncements that have been made in the tourism uh, sector. There is an emphasis on developing infrastructure in other key uh, tourist uh, destinations, um, largely in the north. Um, if you are familiar with Zambia, you'll realize that uh, tourism has been concentrated in the south, specifically in the tourist capital, Livingston. But there is a proposal to, to build various infrastructure, specifically airports, in various parts of the, uh, of the country. And um, incentives that we are given in this sector uh, arising out of the COVID uh, pandemic have also been extended uh, beyond uh, 2021 to just help this sector um, come out of the negative impact that has been brought about by, by COVID. In the mining sector, which is really the sector that drives uh, the Zambian economy, and uh, from which the country ends most of its foreign exchange. The big proposal really is um, around tax reform. So in this sector, previously mineral royalty tax was non-deductible for corporate tax, but this has now been made deductible. Um, the, the impact there is that uh, the mining houses then begin to pay lesser taxes but this will stimulate growth uh, in this sector because the expectation is that uh, the savings will be used for expansion projects, which the mining houses have been looking at doing and also uh, lead to the opening of, of new mines. So the demand for copper globally um, has been high and this has really been driven by, you know, by the transition to electric cars uh, and copper is, is a vital component uh, for that. So there is really um, a push to increase productivity 
from the current 800,000 metric tons to a projected increase of about 3 million tons in the next decade. And the expectation is that um, this will inevitably create uh, jobs. It will, it will create, um, it will lead to an increase in the uh, tax earnings that the country gets from the mining sector. And uh, it will really assist the value chain uh, for the mining uh, for the mining business, uh, there is also a proposal in the mining sector to uh, do a comprehensive audit of mining licenses that have been issued, and uh, the policy direction really is uh, to allow more Zambians to participate either di directly or with other foreign investors in this sector. So those are some of the measures. Um, that are being put in place, or that's the policy direction that has been announced. Uh, there's also a further push for industrialization and manufacturing. So the, the idea is to increase um, value addition in the mining sector itself and the agriculture sector. There's also a push to promote growth by facilitating trade and investment um, in these sectors. Brenda, the, the word comprehensive springs to mind when you're listing off many of the changes that have been laid out in this budget. I mean, you've got everything from very sensible agricultural uh, uh, reforms, which are often forgotten, you know, the agribusiness and, and actually crop production is at the heart of so many of Africa's uh, economies. And then on the other side, we're talking about increasing copper production for use in transistors, you know, fueling the electric car um, boom that we're currently seeing and uh, and airports to help drive tourism into, into previously uh, underappreciated parts of the country. So a real top to the tail reform here. Um, those are mostly within the borders of, of Zambia. I wanted to look slightly outside of those or quite far outside of those and talk about Zambia's recent implementation of the AFCFTA, the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Now, this is a highly anticipated agreement and has got a lot of African multinational corporations excited about the opportunity to drive greater business across multiple sub-Saharan Africa. African jurisdictions. So with the new regime in place, with these, these reforms in place, how do you anticipate this trend and these uh, growth aspirations being realized under the new presidency? Well, to, to speak about how the developments in country will affect um, trade and how Zambia fits into the continental free trade agreement, uh, a number of proposals has been made. So there's a drive towards increased investment in infrastructure development, and uh, this will mainly be driven uh, using the, the PPP model. The government acknowledges that um, it doesn't necessarily have money to direct in uh, infrastructure development, but also recognizes that infrastructure development is key to implementing the CFTA. So in that sense, there's a proposal that um, infrastructure development, mainly uh, transport infrastructure, which, in, which includes uh, rail, uh, roads, uh, bridges, 
and also maritime infrastructure needs to be developed to actualize um, the, tr the, the free movement of trade and free movement of trade beyond Zambia into the Great Lakes region and also um, within SADC and Comesa and to the wider continent. So in that sense, um, there is proposed investment in, um, in rail infrastructure, but this will be private sector uh, driven. And to that end, there's also a proposal to reform the law, uh, the PPP law, to align it to, to these aspirations. The other thing really is the participation of uh, the SME. There's a recognition that the SME sector accounts for at least 80% of trade and uh, a dedicated ministry has been created under the new government, specifically looking at SMEs. And uh, the idea is to help SMEs access uh, fin uh, affordable financing and also infrastructure and training to enable them participate in um, the implementation of the CFTA. So in that sense, um, there is a push to, to regularize the SM, SME sector and to support it for them to, to actively participate in the economy. So that's as far as infrastructure development is concerned. Um, there is a proposal to increase um, the goods that are carried through the Mpulungu Harbour in the medium term. Uh, this harbour opens up to the Great Lakes uh, region. So all that is a push in trying to uh, promote uh, trade and also fits in with the aspirations of the CFTA. Thank you for that insight, Brenda. I think much, much to watch when it comes to that Great Lakes region and inter-country uh, uh, trade in particular. So moving on from trade and SMEs to what Zambia is very much renowned for, which is its copper mines. And Sharon, I'd like you to field this one. Now, there's been a fair amount of contention regarding the mining fiscal regime, especially uncertainty around policy. So what have the previous bottles next with regard to mining investment and growth been? Further, what is the best way forward to overcome these bottlenecks? And are we already seeing changes, uh, and Brenda's already referenced this uh, uh, slightly, that the new regime is going to implement to overcome these challenges and actually see the kind of growth that the, the copper mines justify in Zambia? Thanks, Thomas. Um, the main bottlenecks in the mining sector have been around the fiscal regime, as you've mentioned. The unfavorability of the fiscal regime and the inconsistencies around implementation of the regime. For instance, um, one would note that there have been several changes in the past, past decade. I think there have been about seven changes to the fiscal regime. In addition, I think the main issues around the regime have been the issue of um, the double taxation resulting from the non-deductibility of mineral royalties, as well as the unfavorable mineral royalty tax, which is at the rate of 10% and calculated on a stepped-up scale. Um, all these issues have resulted in an effective 
tax rate of 62%, making Zambia very uncompetitive when it comes to attracting um, investment in the sector. The effective rate of 62% is, I mean, highest in the region, highest among the main copper-producing um, countries. In my view, the best way forward will require a balancing act. One, creating a competitive enabling environment that creates an equitable and fair fiscal regime, as well as a stable mining policy and regulatory framework. That's on the one hand. But then again, there's also need to balance this with um, the need to harness the mineral wealth of the country in order for it to contribute to national development in a sustainable way. And I mean, mining is a very long-term activity. Um, it's a very complex activity that's very capital intensive and one really has to take a long-term view. So far, the government seems to recognize, um, seems to recognize this. And so there have been pronouncements made to review the mining tax policy and regime in order to increase investment in the sector. So far, the government has already taken one positive step, and that is removing the non-deductibility of mineral royalties, as I talked about. The Minister of Finance did indicate in, in, in the budget speech on Friday that the government is currently undertaking a comprehensive audit of the mining licenses issued with the view of helping with the reform um, that is to come in the sector. So in my view, the government is, is taking the right steps and we're confident that the review process will be undertaken in a transparent manner in consultation with the various industry stakeholders. Thank you, Sharon. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this balancing act plays out. Now, since we're on the topic of, of bottlenecks, I did want to raise another elephant in the room, as it were, which is Zambia's debt burden. Now, we know that this debt burden was principally taken on by previous governments, and it's widely attributed to heavy investment in road infrastructure, uh, some of which materialised, some of which didn't. So how is the debt burden being addressed, particularly with regard to the recent budget? And how, uh, you know, in response to this, can the finance uh, infrastructure gap be addressed? So, I mean, you're quite right, Thomas. Uh, Zambia is infamously known for being the first country to default on its um, euro bonds in the COVID era. And um, I think the new regime uh, recognizes that um, we are in dire straits and that the debt burden is unsustainable. But the government has been more transparent about the debt uh, both in terms of disclosure of the current debt stock as well as um, engagement with various stakeholders such as the IMF and the creditors. Uh, it seems that government has two priorities at the moment, which is to implement economic reforms with the help of the IMF, as well as complete um, a successful debt restructuring with international creditors. The timelines communicate so far are such that um, 
this is being treated with some sense of, of urgency. So government hopes to reach an agreement with the IMF by the end of November, and um, which is to be followed by um, a potential agreement with the creditors by the end of Q1 of, of 2022. The positive thing is that there is some urgency being attached to this, and um, there is a lot of transparency around how this is being dealt with. And positive steps are being taken to promote um, transparency. For instance, the Minister of Finance did announce in the budget speech that um, the Loans and Guarantees Authorization Act will be repealed and replaced and a new bill will be introduced in the current sitting of Parliament. Obviously, the objective is to give effect to the constitutional provisions requiring parliamentary approval for debt contraction, which will enhance transparency in public debt management. Now, one must recognize that with a high level of debt and um, higher amounts being spent on debt servicing, there is little wiggle room for financing the infrastructure required to achieve the economic objectives. For instance, the railway subsector has been identified as um, a potential sector that is to be developed to provide for a more cost-effective and efficient means of transportation of, of, of bulk cargo. So the government intends to leverage the use of private finance through the use of public-private partnerships to finance infrastructure. Now, the Minister of Finance has announced that the current framework will be overhauled. The current Public-Private Partnership Act will be replaced by new legislation. And I think this is largely to address the bottlenecks that have been experienced uh, when it comes to implementation of PPP projects. There have been a couple of, of projects implemented um, in the past few years, but I think there have been issues around transparency in the award of concessions, um, the lack of political will and, and generally inconsistency in terms of policy, inconsistency in terms of policy direction. We do hope that there will be sector-specific guidelines uh, which will inform the development of, of infrastructure in specific sectors. And Sharon, speaking of specific sectors and another one which is kind of ripe for, for, for public and private partnerships, is that of um, green finance and in particular renewable energy projects. Now, this couldn't be a more timely discussion with COP26 conference taking place in Glasgow in the UK at the moment. Um, not much has been uh, addressed specifically with regard to, uh, to, to African markets there. So interested in your take on how well positioned is Zambia in welcoming the energy transition that green finance and renewable energy can be a key component of? And second to this, what do international clients need to understand prior to engaging with the, the Zambian region on things like green financing deals or renewable energy infrastructure? Um, absolutely, Thomas. So, I mean, environmental sustainability is um, at the core of Zambia's economic recovery plan. 
and uh, Zambia is positioning itself as a desti destination for green finance. So for the first time, the government has established a specific Ministry of Green Economy dedicated to promoting environmental sustainability in all development um, efforts in the country. The government also proposes to establish a national climate change fund. International investors will be glad to know that um, we do have a framework that supports the issuance of green bonds. The Securities and Exchange Commission, which is our capital markets authority, has um, issued green bond guidelines, which are largely modeled on the international capital markets green bond principles. These guidelines have been issued in order to promote transparency and disclosure and promote integrity in the development of the green bond market in Zambia. So investors will note that all the principles under the International Capital Markets Association um, green bond principles are enshrined in our guidelines. For instance, the issue of use of proceeds for project evaluation, management of proceeds reporting, as well as the need for independent um, reviewers. So developers of eligible projects and those seeking to restructure the operations um, in line with environmental objectives do have green bonds as the source of financing. And investors will be happy to note that renewable energy projects have been identified as eligible projects for green financing. The government has also indicated intent to establish a renewable energy investment plan and implement cost-reflective tariffs which have been the bottleneck to the bankability of energy projects in the country for a long time. More needs to be done in order to promote the use of green finance or green um, finance instruments. There's need, for, there's need for more favorable policies to create bankable green eligible projects of the right size um, to attract um, investment. Now, the government recognizes this and it's for this reason that the Ministry of, of Green Economy has been established. There's also need to, to provide incentives to, to, to help reduce the cost of developing green eligible projects. And again, government has taken a step and in the recent budget, the government has proposed to reduce the fees payable for environmental impact assessments, which is a critical step in the feasibility process for projects of this nature. So steps are being taken, steps in the right direction are being taken, and we're confident that um, the green finance market will develop in the near future. There is a lot of change occurring here. I think a lot of it is being very, very positive. I think what you've said around needing more is very much the case. Um, I think a real watch this space moment for, for Zambia, and I can only hope that some of the positive components that you've raised today come to fruition sooner than later. 
So, Sharon and Brenda, I want to thank you so much for illuminating both myself and our listeners on some of these opportunities and changes that I think the the whole of the world needs to be aware of, not just Zambians. And uh, with listeners in mind, as always, a very big thank you for joining us for this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. If you are new to the podcast, be sure to peruse our entire back catalogue, which is available on all good uh, podcast providers including Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. So without further ado, this has been Tom, Sharon, and Brenda, and we are signing off for the Africa Legal Podcast.